Chapter 6 Mary returned to her detective duties in the Robbery Homicide Bureau. She intended to climb the ranks, becoming a captain after her mandatory five-year minimum was completed. Learning on the job was her professional priority. She wanted to become a versatile member of the department by learning skills outside just robbery homicide. She learned to read fingerprints. She knew everything about DNA that anyone except the specialist knew. She attended and read trial testimony of line officers, their captains, and upper-level chiefs who testified in court. She became a robbery homicide training officer for the new men and women who would join her in her department. Robbery and homicide had certain variables. Robbery, many types, many times, many culprits. Homicide, the same. She liked to track down the guilty and see that they got justice. A 211 in progress usually resulted in someone being caught or killed. Victims usually were unarmed, though they were occasionally assaulted. Security cameras in the place where major robberies took place were helpful in identifying crooks that got away from the crime scene. Mary noticed a pattern in one set of bank robberies. Two men entered dressed in black, pants, shirts, coats, and hats, had a mustache and sunglasses that were always added to their disguises along with the pistols they brandished. Going to two different tellers, their printed note was clear. This is a holdup. Put cash in the bag. Whatever cash went into their respective bags were quickly taken and the robbers left the building. Their robbery was completed in less than a minute once they handed a note to the teller. However, an accomplice, accomplice handcuffed the one security guard to a leg of a desk in a nearby office. Keeping his gun, the third robber instructed him to lay down so he couldn't be seen and to remain quiet. Once the robbers approached the tellers, the third robber left the building. Incapacitated, the guard could do nothing to help until he broke the furniture to get to the phone to dial 911. Quickly, the trio were on the northbound I-5 until the first off-ramp. Then they took the short ride to a place behind a convenience store where they left their getaway car and transferred to a second automobile. Driving away from the area, which had no security cameras, their second and sometimes third vehicles could not be identified. Heading back to the I-5 on-ramp, they headed south in the direction they had come from the bank initially. Chapter 7 First observed heading north, police units did not discover the misdirection they created. Driving the speed limit, removing outer garments into more colorful outfits, they were not easily spotted as the robbers, as looking like the robbers. They had no hats or mustaches, and only two men were in each car. Their bags of cash and guns were in the car trunks. Their robbery was quick and easy, as described to police and the press. The original car was stolen in another city, but had different license plates and a few college emblems or church-affiliated license plate holders to help disguise the stolen vehicle, vehicle if spotted by the police. 
Robbers got more brazen as they committed additional bank robberies. Their M.O. continued by first handcuffing the security guard, placing him in a nearby office to the leg of a desk. In subsequent robberies, one modification took place. The manager was taken outside the bank, out of sight of employees who had been told he would be shot if anyone alerted police in the next 10 minutes. Everyone was to lay on the floor for 10 minutes and the manager could be dropped off if police did not interfere because someone mistakenly had called them. In fact, the manager was taken to his own car, placed in the trunk. He didn't get out until he escaped by using the built-in mechanism in his trunk, which he eventually opened. Handcuffed, it took the manager a few minutes to get from under the tarp that was thrown over him while he was in the trunk. Then, manipulating his body in such a way, though handcuffed, he got to a point where he could use that escape latch. By that time, robbers were gone in their second vehicle, headed away from the area. Chapter 8 the quick and easy bank robbery gang rehearsed their robberies. Each would enter a bank to become familiar with the interior. They studied each bank ahead to see who the manager is, the guard's general location, where inter interior offices are located, and the various teller locations. They came separately at different times on two different work days to plan their heist. Outside the bank, they determined the best place to park, the path to the freeway on-ramp, and the next best off-ramp to take in order to exchange their vehicles for the final getaway. Different malls had different choices for discrete parking locations. Hospital parking lots were options considered, especially those with multiple parking structures. They cased the bank and parking areas for surveillance cameras that needed to be overcome by staying away from them or at least avoiding them. Since facial recognition technology was now used widely by the Robbery Homicide Division of the Police Department and the FBI, their disguises needed to avoid the technology being used to identify them. Each robber was clear about the mission where they would first park their personal vehicles, their duties, and the duties of their spouses. Getting the manager sidetracked and taking control of the bank guard were the initial keys, requiring the bank manager to cooperate by informing tellers and bank patrons of the holdup in progress required cooperation. Each manager had been followed home previously in days ahead of the robbery. They were easily distracted by a robber handing him a piece of paper which listed the manager's address and had a picture of a spouse or child printed on the top of the page. Below those pictures, the instructions on the paper read, a holdup is in progress. Cooperate now so that no one is injured. The implication was his family was known and being threatened. The note continued, you're to get on top of a desk and tell customers to get on the floor immediately because a robbery's in progress. Then 
Go to each teller and have them place cash in a bag you will be given. Be sure tellers cooperate. There were variations to this scenario, Mary learned. Bank managers throughout the city had made it clear no teller or other employee was to do anything other than cooperate with the robbers lest they be responsible for injuring or causing robbers to kill someone. Chapter 9 The quick and easy bandits, as they were now being called, had committed eight robberies to their credit and several million dollars in loot. Mary became a part of a squad dedicated to undercover surveillance at one bank in particular. Since the quick and easy crew were picking banks near freeways, she and her team staked out a bank just off El Toro Road. They didn't need to wait long. The robbers arrived at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. They parked outside the bank, immediately went over to the lone guard, and easily put him in handcuffs in an office just off the main entrance to the bank. The guard sat on the floor with his arms wrapped around a large desk, his gun taken from him. He was instructed, instructed to stay calm, do nothing until the manager came in to release him. The robbers found the manager and got her cooperation. She led them to the area behind the counter where three tellers were working. She took cash from each teller and ordered them all to sit on the floor by the far wall away from their empty cash drawer. Another one of the robbers stood on a desk where he and his gun could be seen. Loudly, he announced a robbery was in progress and for everyone to get on the floor. He added no one would be hurt if they cooperated. The five customers in the single line immediately complied as did the tellers. At this bank, the manager was handcuffed to a desk when the money was collected. With money in bags, each of the three robbers exited the bank, got into a car, and were seen leaving the parking lot. Mary and her team let them get away to the freeway and followed in their unmarked car. At the next off-ramp, they exited and went to a parking structure in the Spectrum Mall. During the escape, the robbers removed their disguises, the mustache, caps, and this time overalls. All of their disguises were then transferred and placed in two Nordstrom shopping bags. Mary and her team blocked the exits from the four-level parking structure as more black and white units joined them. A helicopter arrived overhead to join the capture. Cars that left were stopped, especially any with men. None were the robbers. The quick and easy bandits would have been cornered, captured, and arrested. However, the bandits got out of their cars as agents and police blocked their escape route. Each pair of robbers took an elevator quickly to the main floor and escaped unseen into the mall and promptly began walking into four different stores. Meeting women in the mall, the men separated and shopped as couples for a while. Then the pairs walked to another parking structure and left the mall at different times, in four different cars at four different times in the afternoon. However, two bags of cash were not recovered in the one getaway car, once police converged on its location. None were in the switch cars. None were in the getaway car. 
that they had left in the parking structure. Chapter 10. When one of the robbers took his Nordstrom's packages now filled with cash out of his car, he placed the bags of cash from the getaway car into a car on an adjacent aisle. That car now with the bags of cash had been previously parked there by his wife, who was waiting for him in the mall. Seen coming into the mall, the wife returned to the car and took out only the Nordstrom bags that had the disguises placed in them. Retrieving them, she returned to the mall and immediately went into the women's restroom where she promptly inserted the bags with the disguises in the trash disposal container. She then met her husband who was shopping in the men's department. Together they brazenly returned to her car about two hours later just as police were checking for fingerprints on the getaway car parked an aisle over from her own. She and her robber husband got into their SUV and left the parking structure. The same procedure was followed by the other male robber and his accomplice wife. He placed Nordstrom bags of cash and another with his disguise in a separate bag in an SUV. His wife retrieved the bag of disguises and disposed of them too. Together they met in the Apple store, shopped for a while, and left the parking structure in the SUV. Mary and her team were unaware how close they had come to capturing the robbers and their accomplice wives.